Please open your Bible to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. And this morning we continue this journey through the book of Proverbs. This journey that we have no idea how long it will be. This book is a book that leads us in the path of wisdom, of living according to reality. And whether we recognize it or not, whether you recognize it or not, this idea, living according to reality, is what our gatherings each week are built around. I'll sometimes say we we gather to be reoriented to reality. We gather based on the, the undeniable and ultimate fact of God. That's why we're here. He is creator and Lord. He is sovereign and savior. He is risen and reigning. And he speaks to us today. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think should flow from the reality of of him, of God, of who he is and how he relates to the world. And this is the wisdom that Proverbs gives us. Proverbs presents us with how to live in a world according to reality, according to what's really real, according to reality as God defines it, as he orders the world. That's what Proverbs is all about. And we need these regular reminders because we are a sinful people living in a fallen world. We are a people surrounded by by competing narratives. You look on the news, on your phone, on TV, talk to people in your neighborhood, go to the store. There are competing narratives being told, stories being presented. And we live in a world of God's truth and many lies. And our world loves to live lies, which is all well and good as long as everyone agrees with the lies. You know, don't confront the lies and Everything's fine. You see, lies aren't just alternate realities. They are something different. They're not just a different way of viewing the facts, of interpreting the data. Lies, they do something different. Lies invent false reality. That's what every lie does. Why do we do this? Why do we lie? Why do we invent false realities? Well, we tell that first little lie because we believe that this false reality will be better for us, or it will be easier for us. It's a, it's a world according to our vision, according to our wisdom. Like Eve in the garden, we take what God has said and we add a little bit to it. And we open ourselves up to the idea that our idea of reality is better than God's. But what all sin is, is a rejection of reality. Sin is a rejection of God's order and living according to God's order. It's a rejection of living according to who God is. We can see this clearly when we look at the the current ethos of our culture, where anyone can be anyone or anything they want to be. Our culture tells you to just look inside yourself to understand reality, to understand what is, and then live according to that reality. So you feel like loving someone, not your spouse? Well, we have no-fault divorce for that. You feel like changing your gender? Well, we have a whole society, bureaucrats and medical establishment ready to help you with that. You can be who you want to be. You can say what you want to say, do what you want to do, as long as no one else gets hurt. This is the world that we live in, a world of lies. 
the world that our lives make up, they make no real claims on us. One, one theologian said, it's the world not as it is, but as we wish it to be. A world organized around us and our desires, the perfect environment in which we can be left at peace to be ourselves and to follow our own good or evil purposes. That's what our lies do. And into our world of lies, God, the creator, the ruler of all, speaks. God speaks and demands to be heard. And it's to his word that we now come, to the divine word, the word of God. And here and now, in the midst of this assembly, in the midst of this cafeteria, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, confronts us with his word, judging, absolving, and summoning us to new life, to fresh obedience, and to fellowship with himself. That's what's happening right now. So let us listen to him. Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. Verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. Because I have called you, and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes out like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let me ask you, where do you get wisdom? Where is wisdom found? I described a couple weeks ago how I'll often go online and search out wisdom. I think there's really three places that we all go to find wisdom. First, we could go to experts. And so maybe you go to a library or maybe you go to a knowledgeable friend in a field that you know. You go to the internet. You think, let me do my research. Where do you get your wisdom? For others, it, and in other instances, it could be you look to the crowd. What's everybody else doing? And that's where we get wisdom. This is what, I mean, drives pop culture by and large. What's everybody else doing? Okay. What should I wear? Oh, what's he wearing? Okay. The crowd, where do you get wisdom? Another place that we get wisdom is experience. I just need to see it. 
I just need to try it for myself. So it's through doing that we gain wisdom. The experts, the crowd, the experience. In all of these wisdom sources, getting wisdom is, is somewhat of a, of a quest. Wisdom is something to be found through our own activity, through talking to someone, through going somewhere, through doing something. But Proverbs tells us that wisdom is not hiding from us. It's not waiting to be found. Wisdom is not lurking behind the black curtain. If you, if you just peek behind it, then you'll find wisdom. Wisdom is not like your misplaced phone or car key or toy. Wisdom is where we are, confronting us, calling to us with urgency. And we see this in the first two verses of our text, 20 and 21. Wisdom goes to the public places to be heard. She cries out in the street, the places that we live. She goes to the markets, the places that we shop. She's in the noisy streets, the heartbeat of our society and pop culture. She stands at the entrance of the city, this place where ideas are heard and debated. No, wisdom is not hiding. Wisdom is not silent. Wisdom is here. And not just here, present, but speaking. She is making herself heard. If wisdom is, is crying out, if wisdom is speaking, then how do we get wisdom? Proverbs tells us that we must listen to her. The difference between the, the wise and the fool is simply the difference in who we listen to. The proverb assumes that we are going to listen to someone. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we, we heard the, the father warning his son and talking about the enticement of sinners. And he knows that enticement's going to come. We're going to listen to someone. There are many voices crying out. But there's one voice that we must listen to. There's one voice that comes with an urgency and authority that we must deal with. And that is the voice of wisdom. Because when wisdom speaks, God himself is speaking. And who is wisdom speaking to? Who does she address? Verse 22 tells us her audience. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Right at the outset, wisdom, wisdom gives us three groups that she has in mind as she speaks. They're groups that we've already encountered in Proverbs 1. The simple, the scoffers, and the fools. Now the simple are, are the young. They're the impressionable. They're, not, they're the undercommitted. They're easily influenced. They're naive. It's not necessarily a bad place to be. We all start there in one way or another. The scoffers are those who are, are chronically arrogant and cynical. They listen to wisdom, but only to argue with her, to criticize her, to undermine her. And 
They delight in their scoffing. The third group are, are the fools. And the fools are those who are, are smug and thick-headed, detached. They, they choose not to listen to wisdom. They cover their ears at wisdom's call. And wisdom calls out to all of them. And notice the, the phrase, how long? How long, O oh simple ones? How long will scoffers? Wisdom doesn't just call out once. Wisdom continues to call, though they ignore her. This call is a mercy. It's patience. It is grace. And when wisdom brings words, when wisdom speaks, wisdom brings words of hope and promise to those who will listen. Hear these kind words, these gracious words in verse 23. If you turned at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Brothers and sisters, these are, these are wonderful words that wisdom speaks. Wisdom demands an audience, demands to be heard. And as we hear wisdom, as we receive wisdom and instruction, our, our response is summed up in this little four-letter word right there, turn. Turn. Turn is one of the most important concepts in the Bible when it comes to repentance. A turning away from that which is opposed to God and a turning to the things of God and God himself. Turn. Turn at my reproof. As I've been studying this text, I've been drawn to both Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and 4. And in, in those texts, they go back to Exodus 17 in the waters of Meribah where the, where the people of Israel are complaining against God after he's delivered them out of Egypt. And Psalm 95, Hebrews 3 quotes it, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There's this wonderful promise held out to those who will turn at the reproof that wisdom brings. And that, it, that, that promise is rest, as, as verse 23 describes it. It's God's, the wisdom spirit being poured out on us. Wisdom will give us herself if we but turn at her reproof. Not only that, wisdom will make her words known to us. So in our weariness, in our sin, in our failures, in our need to turn, wisdom comes and says, I will give you the energy that you need. I will give you the truth that you need if you but turn and listen. You see, wisdom doesn't work with perfect people. Wisdom's call, wisdom's audience is not for the perfect. Wisdom works with responsive people. 
Wisdom is calling out to those who will turn, who will repent. It's like Jesus says in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you respond? Hebrews 3 goes on and says, Take care, brothers, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold as our original confidence firm to the end. Will you turn to wisdom's call? Will you turn at her reproof? What happens if you refuse that call? What happens if you refuse to turn? This is what our text goes on to describe, what wisdom describes. Look again at verse 24. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Notice there in verse 24 and 28 the contrast. Because I have called, wisdom is called, and you refuse to listen. In verse 28, the fools call out, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. This text is meant to make us uncomfortable. It's meant to make us squirm in our seats a little bit. It's not a text that takes us gently by the hand with sympathetic eyes and says that everything is going to be all right. And thanks be to God that it doesn't do this. This is a text that comes in full-throated honesty and urgency. It may be uncomfortable, but since when should comfort be a condition for truth? Slamming my thumb with a hammer is uncomfortable. But I can't wish away the hardness of the hammer or the pain of my thumb. All of God's truth is the same way. Because he is reality definer, truth stater. What he says is. And this is the starting point for coming to his word. His word speaks great words of comfort and hope, of joy and peace. But these words are known and understood only in light of judgment, only in light of his holiness. And we need to learn as a people to listen to these harsh words of judgment so that we might know the goodness of God's offer of grace. I think this is one of the reasons why we have, I think collectively, and I, I speak, I'm speaking very generally and broadly here, have a harder time in reading Old Testament prophets. prophets. There's a lot of judgment in the prophets. Makes us uncomfortable. But might it be that we don't fully understand the holiness and righteousness of God himself 
and, and the judgment that that holiness and righteousness requires upon sinners like us. If we grasp that, how glorious is this mercy and grace that we receive in Jesus Christ. In verse 26, wisdom says that she will laugh at the calamity that comes upon those who refuse to listen. She will mock when terror strikes like a storm. I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound kind of terrible? It's like when you warn a child, hey, that's hot, don't touch that. You warn them to protect them so they don't get burned. But if they ignore your warning, do you then laugh at them? <laughs> you idiot. No, no, that doesn't seem right, does it? Maybe, like I read this, maybe something's messed up with our translation. Maybe, maybe the Hebrew says something different. No, actually it doesn't. But this is not a, a giddy, giggly laughter in verse 26. What this is, is a rejoicing over the defeat of evil. And that is right and good. It's like Psalm 37, 13 that says, The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked think they haven't made. They've played the game and they've come out on the winning side of history. They've got it all figured out. The Lord sees that and he laughs because he knows their day is coming. Or in Psalm 2, when the nations rage and the, the people's plot and the kings set themselves against God, he who sits in the heavens, do you know what he does? He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He knows the outcome of their ways. He knows the ultimate triumph over right, of right over wrong. One commentator says of this verse, of verse 26, the rebellion is so ridiculous and the victory so victorious that there's a comic aspect to it all. You see, wisdom looks upon the refusal of the fools to listen and says, you've got to be joking. Here, wisdom offers everything that they need, everything they could want. She offers herself. And the fools and the scoffers will have none of it. She laughs. What a joke. But as long as it is still today, we must take heed of this warning. Today, we must not fail to listen. We must not fail to respond. As long as it is still today, we must see suffering as a gift, meant to wake us up from the lies we choose to live and believe. You see, wisdom is saying that, that storms are going to come upon you. Storms will come upon you. Storms will come upon every one of us. And God uses suffering often to wake us up from these lies that we choose to live and believe. Suffering can be a gift to wake us up to reality. It's easy to ignore wisdom, to disregard warnings, when things are all fine, when everything's going good. I think this is especially a challenge for, for young people. I was there once, and I feel I've got my life ahead of me. I can take my time. There's no urgency. Regina Spector, in 2009, she sang that it can be easy to laugh at God when he's presented like a genie who does magic like Houdini or grants wishes like Jiminy Cricket and Santa Claus. God can be so hilarious. But Spectre goes on to honestly sing how 
No one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when they've lost all they've got and they don't know what for. No one laughs at God when the doctor calls after some routine tests. No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not back from the party yet. No one's laughing at God when there's a famine, a fire, or a flood. Those are some honest words. Suffering, these storms that we face, is coming, and it's meant to wake us up from the mockery we might, we might make of God when we choose to live according to lies, when we refuse to listen to the voice of wisdom, when we find it all too easy to laugh at God. Brothers and sisters, young people, hear the voice of God today. Listen, turn, repent. For if you refuse, certain judgment awaits. And how does Proverbs 1 describe that judgment? What is the, the storm that threatens those who refuse to listen? Verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. This is the judgment. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. The consequence of refusing to listen to wisdom, of not choosing the fear of the Lord, of despising reproof, is not that you won't get anything that you want. It's actually the very opposite of that. It's that you will get exactly what you thought you wanted. That's what the Lord is giving the fool up to. They shall eat the fruit of their way. They chose their path of folly of rejecting wisdom, and now they get to eat the fruit of it. They will get fat on their own devices. The storm that comes upon the one who refuses to listen is not a storm of getting what you didn't want. The storm, this calamity, this distress and anguish is the tragedy of the fruit of their own way. It's the, the sinner finally being given entirely over to what they pursued all along. I recently came across some comments made about a, a prolific and best-selling author, Danielle Steele. I've never read nor know anything about her books, but I do know that I've seen her books seemingly everywhere. Every time like we rent a beach house, all of her books are there. Not all of them, because she's written a lot of them apparently. She's prolific. She's published nearly 200 books, and they've sold, cumulatively, nearly 800 million copies. Unlike other authors who release multiple books a year, Steele writes every word of every manuscript herself. How does she do this? She works all the time. She said in her interviews that she will start writing every day at 8.30 a.m., and she will write all day, normally into the night. Often she'll work 20 to 22 hours in a day sitting at her desk, writing. She says she eats one piece of toast for breakfast and nibbles on bittersweet chocolate bars for lunch. There's a sign in her office that reads, there are no miracles, there's only discipline. While she has been phenomenally successful commercially, reading about her life and work habits sounds miserable. If she decided to write just one book a year and use the extra time doing things like, I don't know, maybe sleep, spend time with other people, 
she would still be successful. She would still be a best-selling author. But she doesn't do this. Why? I think this is something of a parable for getting our fill of our own devices. One article said about Steele, like King Midas lost in his gilded loneliness, Steele cannot leave the typewriter. She earned everything she hoped for, but in the process, she lost the ability to step away and enjoy it. It can be easy to look at the seeming success of others and be jealous. Man, look at everything they have. Look at that car they drive. Look at that house they have. Look at how happy they seem. Look at their family. Look at the vacation they went on. But we can ignore what's really going on. And perhaps you haven't noticed, maybe you have, but there's this whole industry that exists in large part to talk about the problems of the people who seemingly have it all, the rich and the famous. The rich and the famous have lots of problems. And this industry tells story of addiction and adultery and anxiety again and again and again and again. These people, like the fool in Proverbs 1, are, are eating the fruit of their way. They're getting their fill of their own devices. You see, our greatest danger is not in getting what we don't want. It's God giving us exactly what we think we want. I think this is a very helpful explanation for so much of the evil and sin that we see in our nation and throughout the world. God is giving people up, as Romans 1 tells us. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, verse 24. God gave them up to dishonorable passions, verse 26. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, verse 28. Why does it seem sometimes like the lies are winning? Why does it seem like, man, all these good things are happening to all these bad people? It's because God is giving them their fill of their own devices. And this is a storm and calamity that is going to cause distress and anguish. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. Verse 32 brings wisdom's lesson to its conclusion with, with this final statement of judgment. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. In all of our, our lives, we're really just playing at God, playing at being God. And if you're 10 or 13 or 16 or 38 or 65 or 85 doesn't matter that's what we do through the lies that we tell us we play god and we think it's all right i've got time no big deal it's through turning away that the simple are killed instead of turning to wisdom instead of listening instead of repenting the simple are killed simply by turning away and this i think is particularly sobering, the end of verse 32, it's in being complacent that fools are destroyed. In being complacent. What kind of activity is implied in being complacent? None. Maybe you read the Father's warning in the beginning of Proverbs 1 and thought, yeah, not my problem. I'm not following the greedy. Wisdom steps in here and says, yeah, yeah, the danger is not in following sinners only. 
It's in being okay with who you are. It is complacency, being satisfied with who you are, with how you are, with the path that you're on. That will be your destruction. And if you're young here, I want to ask you, are you okay with who you are? It's easy for the simple, for the young, to always think that there's more time. To always think that repentance can come later. I referred to it earlier. That's, that's how I lived many of my teenage years. Yeah, like I can take that serious later. I'll start taking this God stuff. I'll, like, I'll, yeah, I'll figure it out then. Later. But there might not be a later. Be grateful that it is still today. Today you can still turn to him. Doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Today you can still turn to him. But at the day of judgment, there are no second chances. There, there's, a, there's a part of our culture that really loves the idea of second chances. Romanticizes this idea of second chances. And there's something wonderful and good about it because it points to the, the goodness of redemption. But there's also something in it that can make a mockery of the life that we live now as if we can do whatever we want. There's always another chance. But at the day of judgment, there are no second chances. There will not be anyone saying, oh, you needed a little more time to get things in order? No, on the day of the Lord, there are no do-overs. Because if there were do-overs, then none of what we do in this life would matter. We could be carefree and careless, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, as Paul writes. The wise would be seen to be fools and the righteousness, justice, and holiness of God would be a joke if there were do-overs. But there are no do-overs on the day of judgment. This is hard. This is urgent. So what hope do we have? In verse 33, wisdom says, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Wisdom comes to us with this urgent and stern warning, but wisdom also comes to us with this wonderful promise, this promise of safety and security and peace in every circumstance. If we but listen to wisdom, we will dwell secure. It's not go out and be perfect and then you can be secure. It's listen to wisdom. Turn at her reproof. And this listening is, ne is not just a, a passive listening to a lecture. Like you've all sat here and you've heard wisdom cry out through Proverbs 1. And that's it. No, we are called to actively listen in order to be transformed. It's the turning at reproof. It's receiving counsel. It's choosing to fear the Lord. We listen to be transformed. And so we must turn. We must listen. We must keep his word. We must walk in wisdom's way. But how, what does this listening look like? What do we do? I want to speak to the where, the how, the who, and the when of listening. Where must we listen? Where must we listen? 
We must listen at the place where God speaks. And do you know where God speaks? God speaks in his word. So we come to God in his word. We build our gatherings week after week around God's word. We fellowship with one another over God's word. We read God's word privately. We talk to our children about God's word. Because this is the place, this is not just any book, this is the place where God speaks. That's where we must listen. How must we listen? We must listen with faith. We listen with faith. To listen with faith means that we give way to God. We yield to God. We take God at his word. Not listening to test and scrutinize his reliability, but trusting him as reality definer. As the one who rules and reigns over all. That's how we must listen, with faith. Who should we listen with? Who should we listen with? We should listen with, not, not the world, but with the people of God. Because we cannot guard our hearts on our own. We need one another. And that's why we gather together. That's why we do not neglect meeting together. Because we need to listen to wisdom together. And we need to bring God's wisdom to bear on one another's lives. And so we listen together. We listen in the place where God speaks. We listen with faith. We listen together. But when should we listen? Next week? Next month? We listen today. We listen today. Today. Because every day is God's today. And we must listen to him. Now we hear this urgent warning and receive this wonderful promise that if we but listen, we will dwell secure. But we've got a problem, don't we? Our problem is that we often don't listen well. We often have hard hearts. We have closed ears. I quoted the hymn earlier. I quote it often. We are prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we cannot improve our spiritual state just like we cannot raise ourselves from the dead. But what we can't do, God can and has done and will do. God has not left things up to us. He has stepped in on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And he has intervened on our behalf and he has taken hold of us by his spirit and brought us to new life. And so in Jesus, we can dwell secure. There is therefore now nothing that can separate us from his love. For all those who turn to him in faith. We have life in him. What a gift that is. Would you pray with me? O oh Lord our God, you who sends your spirit to be with us forever, would you renew your spirit within us that our hearts may be cleansed from evil and that faith, hope, and love may abound in our lives as we listen to wisdom as we walk in your ways. To the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior.
Amen.